Let's face it, you guys, we're all looking for our tribe, especially after the past three years. Those of us who are awake need the company of our fellow humans just to feel sane. Well, one way to connect with new friends is to let the world know just exactly where you're coming from. So when you head out into the world, let them know where you stand with the bold new designs for my brand new apparel line. Imagine you're at a coffee shop in a brand new town. You're feeling a little lonely and would love to have a chat. Then you remember... You brought along your Don't Spike My Proteins tumbler from LukeStoryMerch.com. Just plop that bad boy on the counter and tell the barista fill her up. You might be surprised who gives you a wink and a smile. In any case, you've got yourself a hell of a conversation starter. And if you want to be a little less confrontational, I understand that. For some lighter fare, you might prefer to wear your own conspiracy analyst t-shirt or hoodie and wait to see who approaches. If you feel aligned with the topics we cover on this show, we've got a grip of incredible designs for you to choose some, available on tees, tanks, hoodies, and caps for men, women, and even kids. So head over to LukeStoryMerch.com to see them all. Stock up and thread up. That way I'll know who my people are when I spot you out there in the wild. That's LukeStoryMerch.com. Hello friends, Luke Story from LukeStory.com here. It's bonus show time. You're about to listen to a special rebroadcast episode of one of my recent podcast guest appearances. If you dig The Lifestylist and you're looking to interact directly with me and other listeners, grab a pen or your favorite device. I'm going to drop some intel on you right now. YouTube's where you'll find videos of this podcast as well as my musings on spirituality, mental health, addiction recovery, meditation, and wellness product reviews. So click over to youtube.com slash lukestory and join about 25,000 other subscribers there for hundreds of high-impact videos. And you can find me on Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook at Mr. Luke Story. But the best way to connect with other listeners, ask questions, and share your knowledge and experience is our free Facebook group. Just pop open Facebook and search The Lifestylist Podcast, then request to join. There you'll find over 7,000 other awesome, like-minded truth seekers waiting for you. But to get the most social media action from me in real time, you definitely want to follow me on Instagram, at Luke Story, where I am most active. But if you're burned out on the big tech censorship of the past few years and want to dive into the subversive, forbidden content, you'll definitely want to join my Telegram channel at LukeStory.com Telegram. Trigger warning on that one, though. It's pretty racy in there. And finally, if all that information was just too much for you, you can simply find all of my social links at LukeStory.com links. Okay, that's it for the pregame report. Now let's jump into this conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And if so, by all means, share it with a friend. We were talking when we were started another, another this is a, a kind of a full 180 other direction, but there was something interesting that you were talking about with in relation to music as we were setting up cameras and whatnot. And a thing that I found really fascinating, someone else, I, I don't remember who it was that was brought up this point, but it was around psychedelics and the influence that, that various different psychoactive substances have had on culture. And some people have the, the belief, you know, the story that like, oh, like, I'm not into that. I don't do that kind of stuff. You're like, I'm straight edge. You know, they have their story about themselves and what's okay and not okay. Yeah. They kind of, kind of keep themselves contained within that. But if you draw back a little bit more, you realize that we're all so deeply influenced by, by media and by music and by poetry and by, you know, even, you know, like the cell phone, Steve Jobs, you know, used mushrooms and, and it's like cons considered to be one of the most impactful moments in his life. 
And so, but the the music is a very obvious, tangible thing where it's like you will listen to whoever the Doors or Led Zeppelin or what the Beatles or whatever it may be. It's caked into culture. You can't get away from it. It's like Christianity. Like it's there. If you live in the United States, it's it's baked in. That's very true. And so you can have the story, the idea of who you think you are, but the reality is you're you're. It's so entrenched. Yeah. There's no way getting. There's no way to get out of it. Yeah. It's very interesting. It is. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about um, in in relation to music and the promotion of drug culture by when I came up, it was like rock and roll bands. And I think I would have turned out to be a drug addict anyway, just because of the trauma that I experienced in life and my physiological propensity toward addiction. And the fact that for my nervous system, certain chemicals used to ease the pain of unresolved trauma. Someone might get off on shopping, someone sex, someone racking up debt, someone just being repressed and reclusive. You know, we all have like coping mechanisms, but mine was drugs. But I got to say, my addiction was definitely propelled forward by the music that I listened to. So an interesting thing that I've observed about music and drugs is that it absolutely had an influence on my addiction. And, you know, like I said, I probably would have ended up being an addict anyway, but I remember being around 11 or 12 years old and listening to two songs specifically and doing drugs with the songs as part of, I guess, a ceremony in a way. But I would listen to Snowblind by Black Sabbath. And I would, I used to steal Coke from some of the adults around in my life, like a lot of it. And when Coke actually had Coke in it, this is in the 80s, versus whatever they're passing off as Coke on the streets right. these days. The good old days. The good stuff, yeah. <laughs> um, and I would snort just shitloads of Coke and I'd put on my Walkman, my cassette Walkman, and ride my BMX bike and listen to Snowblind. And just it was just euphoria. And then the other one was Sweet Leaf, also by Black Sabbath. And then the Holy Grail, as I got into my teen years, I kind of got more into the Stones. That was my shit. And Keith Richards was an infamous uh, junkie. And then I got into the New York Dolls and Johnny Thunders. Johnny Thunders is you know, not as famous of a person, but is maybe even more famous for being a junkie. And so the Holy Grail to me was always like, I got to get this heroin stuff. And in the small towns I lived in, they just didn't have it. And so you can only do meth and Coke and weed and alcohol, pills. But I got to Hollywood and within two weeks I was doing heroin. I was 19. So I was like, I want to be like Keith Richards because then I'll write songs like that. (laughs) You know. But the thing is about those 60s bands, I realized this after playing in bands for like 15 years and never getting that good is all of those guys were very proficient and talented and and well-practiced musicians before they experimented with drugs. Whereas in my case, I was a drug addict for 10 years before I ever picked up an instrument. So I didn't get magical creative powers from experimenting with drugs and mixing that with music. It made me a shittier musician because I was too fucked up to remember the parts. It seems like certain psychoactive substances, which is such a dorky way to call it but molecules dr- but, yeah exactly but drugs is also kind of like a dirty word as well so it's like i don't know what to say entheogens is like way too far for me you know it's, it's like i don't know what i don't know what to well, call if you, substances if you, if you call, substances how about that yeah well if you call all psychedelics plant medicine some of them aren't plants like technically mushrooms aren't plants so they're not really included in plant medicines and neither is like 5-meo dmt or combo they're not plants but some people that are sticklers around the languaging around entheogens get pissed if you call certain things psychedelic. Like if you called MDMA a psychedelic, it's nuanced, but some people would be like, that's not a psychedelic, so what yeah. is it? You know, yeah. I don't know what you call them either, but drugs seems to really diminish the value of some of these things that can really be used as medicines. And yeah. in, in my experience in the past 
Yeah, I think if you if you if you ha- I think there's there's something really valuable to actually having like a, a backlog of information or study or life experience in order to to go through that processing s- system. You know, so when you put yourself through, say, like psilocybin would be something that's that's you know becoming more open and available, and there's lots of research so you can kind of like talk about it. We can talk about anything, but if you have a backlog of 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 work, you know, like a breadth of work where you you there's information in your in your mind it's it opens up the potential to connect seemingly disparate points to create something new which is really powerful that's innovation yeah yeah and so that's where like like a lot of people in the world that we live in like western culture it's it's in large part a very specialized place you know you want to be an electrician or you want to be a mechanic or you want to be a podcaster you want to you know accountant you're like that's what you do you don't need to know how to hunt or gather or make love to your wife, or it'll just like be a great accountant, you know, and everything else we'll, we'll figure it out. But what's, what's beautiful about those substances is it, I think it does, if you have the right backlog, it does create the potential to kind of gather those, that information and create something new, which I think can be really powerful. Absolutely. Well, I think it also depends on, on what one's motive is, kind of where you are in terms of your spiritual maturity, right? So in my early years, I mean, I used to go see the dead and take copious amounts of LSD and mushrooms and, and also be drinking beer and smoking weed and doing right. all kinds of drugs. And I was actually using those psychedelics as a means by which to attempt to escape my discomfort, just the, the dis-ease that I had in my being. Right. And psychedelics are a horrible way, in my, in my opinion, and experience to do that. Because what they're going to do is take you deeper into yourself, you know? And so I just kept adding, you know, throughout the night, I just keep adding more. Let's go do nitrous hits or whatever, you know? And I would just keep yeah. getting more and more fucked up. But then when I was, you know, I got sober at 26 and then at 22 years sober, I mean, I, all I had was coffee and cigarettes, you know what I mean? That entire 22 years, those 22 years of being sober and spending all of my time in various forms of personal development and spiritual study, Going to India to learn to meditate, just all the things. Every book, every audiobook, every kind of retreat, program, etc. By the time I went to do plant medicines with a very pure intention, it's been, um, it was and continues to be really productive because there was no, nothing to escape from anymore versus the earlier like drug experience versus medicine. I think that's kind of the, the defining difference between what makes something a drug and a medicine is kind of the purpose, right? I guess you could say medicine is to treat something that's uh, in dis-ease or to treat an illness. But I think the illness that I was seeking to treat when I went into plant medicines was barely conscious stuff. You know, like I'm having a good life, I'm successful, I feel good. But there's still just some shadowy things that are kind of lurking in the corners that I felt that I couldn't quite reach with all of my other tools, you know? Yeah, the analogy that was coming up to me as you were talking and I want to get to the power that those substances have to kind of uncover parts of ourselves that we, we haven't, we didn't even know were there, per se. But the analogy has come up as like a painter painting on a canvas. First, you need to have colors to paint with, you know, and then you can blend them and you can kind of have this experience with it. But I think some, you know, you'll get Ram Dass or Timothy Leary or folks of the sort that we like kind of you know, look up to, in a sense, in like the psychedelic revolution. They're like professors at Stanford and like they've, they've done their work and they found psychedelics really late in their life. And one of the things that, that Leary said, it was pretty sure it was Leary. So when he was, he was doing a handful of mushrooms and he was at some party, he was by a pool. He said he learned more about himself in that three hours or four hours than he did in 20 years of studying psychology. Yeah. But, comma, 
he studied psychology and himself and totally. taught and traveled for 20 years. Yeah, yeah. So his palate's full. Yeah. You know, compared to the person that maybe comes from a place of just like, you know, escaping and there's the, there's, they're already coming from an empty place yeah. and they're looking to be filled. But first they didn't kind of, they didn't put the fuel in in the first place. Totally. And perhaps these substances can open you up to starting the process of, of starting to gather some colors. Yeah, I think so it there's goes, no like right or wrong. Totally, totally. That's really important. But it's very nuanced. I think it goes both ways, you know, and I can only speak to my, my experience, which could come off as like, oh, I did it the right way and other people did it the wrong way. But having that framework for me was just so critical and also just has made all of my journeys so productive mm -hmm. because I get in there and I'm just, I'm doot, doot, doot. I'm putting all of these pieces together. I know exactly what I'm looking for. I know yeah. exactly what my intention is. And when information is revealed, I have a context for it yeah. because of all the other work. But, but I agree with what you said. I mean, you could take someone who's been totally unconscious and in a, in a lower state of consciousness for their whole life for whatever reason. <laughs> put them in a bufo journey and then they get into personal development and going to therapy and meditating and doing breath work and doing all the things after the fact because they've had the experience of a mystical experience right they've, they've, yeah. they've had something happen that went like clicked for them yeah and that kind of happened for me before i got sober you know one night i intended to just get drunk and escape my misery and uh, i took a bunch of mushrooms got drunk and i had a really bad trip and in this trip i just was shown how I had destroyed my life and what a complete abject loser I was and how hopeless I was and what a sad demise to my life being a junkie was. And a couple months later, it, in a seemingly unrelated turn of events, I checked myself into rehab and I've been sober ever since. So it really was a huge catalyst for me, even though I had nothing to work with. That medicine was just like, dude, or I guess not the medicine maybe, but just the experience itself helped me to see things about myself in my life and I just couldn't escape them. I'm in a room just going like, ah, oh, I want to just have fun. And, you know, consciousness is going, you're not having fun tonight. You're going to look at yourself. Yeah. And what I found was so horrific that it actually spurned a, a catalytic change very shortly after. I wonder with you what you think, and there's other stuff I want to talk about, so we'll, we'll transition away from the psychedelic stuff, but I wonder with you in relation to addiction, what was different about you and your experience for you to go into a place of what would, you know, from the outside, it seems to be growth, you know, it seems like you're continuing to grow as opposed yeah. to going into what is probably even more common into just relapse. Dude, <laughs> I've watched so many people... Uh, over the years, especially when I was more deeply in, involved in recovery groups, I watched so many people relapse. And there's kind of two categories, and I'm sure there are multiple categories, but two major defining characteristics of an addict that are going to determine whether or not they get it and don't. One is arriving in a state of humility where you become teachable and the shell of your ego has been shattered long enough for you to allow in a surrender experience and for me the surrender experience was just so deep i had no reservations there wasn't any little part in the back of my mind when i checked myself into treatment that said just do this shit for 30 days get the heat off your back and then you can smoke a little weed you know give it a few months i knew the moment i walked in there and i was fucking hammered when i checked in because I knew it was the last one. I just knew I would never drink ever again. Wow. And so I surrendered myself completely and wholly to, to God. You know, it's just 
there was no reservations. There was no wiggle room. It was just, I'm going to allow myself to be helped. And I think because there was such a massive void of willingness and, and humility brought about by humiliation and pain at that time, um, that the, the unseen hand had room to get in and go, okay, watch this, boom. And from that moment until this moment, I've never once had a craving for drugs or alcohol, never for a second. Never considered it, never thought about it. Now that said, I mean, I was very involved in recovery for, I mean, at least 15 years, like very committed, doing all the things, you know? So it's not like I just was struck sober and went out and lived my best life. But I think that, that characteristic, when someone is just really done and they've conceded to themselves that they cannot help themselves, that they need help from other people and from some sort of spiritual power. In my experience, the people that just never get it, and maybe they're not meant to get it this lifetime, and you have to just accept that. That's part of their karmic journey is to just die a drunk. The people that I've seen have one thing in common, and that is, and this is in the Alcoholics Anonymous literature, is that they're constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. Not that you can't be honest with other people. I mean, that you can't do that either. But being honest with oneself to the point where you go, you know what? <laughs> I can't stop on my own. Or even people that are so far into denial and out of that self-honesty that they're like, no, it's everyone else's problem. <laughs> you know, if everyone would just leave me the fuck alone and let me do my thing, I wouldn't have any problems. You know, but I think that that hard-headedness and that closed-mindedness and that skepticism against spirituality is what keeps a lot of people in the relapse cycle. They just can't surrender because they won't they won't turn over their will. You know, that's that's what has to happen in order for there to be room for something to come into my life and do something for me, I have to relinquish my, my will around that particular issue. You know, it's heartbreaking, dude, because there's so many amazingly beautiful human beings that either just completely fail at life and don't live up to their potential or they physically die. You know, they die of addiction because they're just too fucking hard-headed, you know? And I, I think for me, um, I was just so fortunate. I remember that night that I did mushrooms, there was... A lot of it was just seeing what a failure I had become and what a rotten person I was too. I was so selfish, so self-centered, so angry, hostile, so dishonest, so deceitful, so manipulative, just so selfish. All I thought about 24 hours a day was just me and getting what I want to be safe, just living like an animal. Yeah. So I saw that, but then I also saw- Living like a scared animal. Yeah, totally. I also saw- that buried deep down in there was like 1% of myself that was worth saving. And I think that was the thing, really. You know, there was just, fuck, Luke, you could do something better than this. Maybe not much better, you know, because I had such low self-worth. But there was just this sense that, God, there's a chance that I could actually make something of my life. Just this very faint voice that just said, you're worth it. You're worth it. You got to quit this shit. Do you think there's any relevance to the correction of living like a scared animal compared to an animal? And if there is, if that could be some type of, you know, there's only fear and love. Yeah. You know, which I'm not a huge fan of absolutes, but sometimes I feel kind of strongly. It's like, oh yeah, I think that's pretty much it. There's love and then there's fear and all of the patterns of, you know, we typically find distasteful, you know, a person that's arrogant or greedy or you know all of the things are like oh like screw that person it's typically coming from some root of of you know pain or fear of not being loved or maybe do you think for you in in the place that you were at and maybe that's not even a relevant analogy for you but do you think that there was like a some distinguishable fear that you had that was kind of keeping you in that place 
That's yeah. okay if that doesn't connect. I'm oh, just no, kind of absolutely. Wonder. But to the, to the first point, you know, and I said, you know, living like an animal or living like a scared animal, I think when a human devolves into the depths of addiction, you just go down to your absolute base nature in every way when you're really in the throes of it. Mm-hmm. And so each moment is just, you know, a fight to survive and just yep. to stay in your body, you know, <laughs> really, because it's so uncomfortable. Because the, 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 the stuff underneath the surface that you're trying to repress and suppress, you know, it keeps bubbling up and then you keep adding to it, right? So you have this sense of shame about who you are and, and you know, just this lack of self-worth. But then when you become an addict and you start to live in those base instincts, then you start committing acts of harm to yourself and you kind of know it and you commit acts of harm to other people and sometimes it's people that you love and so then you start compounding the shame so it's like this shame spiral and when you're in that it really does bring you down to animal instincts you know and and that i guess could be said that you're just almost exclusively ego identified and Mm -hmm. that's where that shell of resistance comes into and that shell of denial where the people that you love are like, man, you used to be a great person. Look at you now. Like, you got to get help. And you're like, what? I'm fine. It's all you fucking guys. I used to love to watch that show Intervention because mm. it was such a beautiful study of the human psyche. And just you see this 16-year-old kid who's you know, addicted to huffing or something, right? And, and it's destroying his entire family because that one person is sick. You know, Addiction has these ripple effects that causes everyone else to get infected with codependency and, yeah. and, and all kinds of other disorders. It's crazy. It's so weird because if you, if you look at someone in the, in the center of a family, right? Say that 16-year-old kid has cancer. In a somewhat healthy family, the family would be brought together under that duress and under that challenge. And they would likely, in most cases, I think, become closer and more unified. But when that addict's illness is alcoholism or drug addiction, everyone else sort of gets drawn into this web and gets infected with the psychic disease of addiction as well. And that person, unless they can muster that ability to be honest with themselves and go, you know what? Wow, like, yeah, I I fucked this up. (laughs) You know, I've ruined my life and I need help. If you can't get there, it's just, it's never going to happen. Yeah. You know, and it's it's weird because some people, like I said, just seem constitutionally incapable of arriving there. And these are the people that we're just baffled by, you know, someone that was successful in, in their life in some ways and talented and loved and, and everyone around them just going, dude, why do you do this? Yeah. And they don't know and you don't know. It's just they cannot see themselves. They can't have enough objectivity to see that there's another way to live. Yeah. It seems like coming, uh, probably most people are kind of more, their personalities are more dense and that they need to come to a place of almost like life decimation or annihilation to come yeah. to a place of surrender yeah. to create radical change. Yeah. But the majority of people, I think probably statistically the majority of people, at least in the United States, are not in that place. They're kind of more in a gray. This banal, you know, just reach out for another. Yeah. I don't want to, I, I hate <laughs> like poo-pooing on pharmaceutical, but whatever, just it's just kind of gray. Yeah. Cell phone all the time, yeah. then onto the news cycle and go to work, sit, computer all day, eat some processed food, get some so-so sleep, uh, take a sleeping pill, get up, bang out some coffee, have a wank, hit the <laughs> cell phone, get in the car, sit in traffic. Fucking <laughs> You're zh- describing zh- my zh- first few years of sobriety. <laughs> yeah. But so for that yeah. person, it's like seemingly they're fine. They're like yeah. normal, it's fine, you know, but they might be sabotaging themselves from creating anything more meaningful that they could feel like proud and 
you know, it's like feel like more life on purpose or a more meaningful relationship or have some kind of avoidant tendency or so, you know, whatever yeah. the things are, yeah. they have all these addictions that are rooted in the same stuff that's way more polarized with the socially, you know, termed like addict. But I think that that addict is really, it's, it's, it's everybody. It's yeah. just some are more overt and others are more hidden. And there's almost something beautiful about the overt addict because they're, it's like they're closer to freedom in some sense. Like they're getting at the doors yeah. like, okay, like, oh, I'm, okay, I can't, I can't do it. Like take the wheel, Jesus. <laughs> and they come to that place of like, Aaron, okay. Yeah, you're, you're, you're so right, dude. And, and I've, I've for a very long time had such a depth of gratitude for the fact that I was just such a textbook drug addict since I was a kid. I'm so glad that my thing was so easy to identify. Yeah, you're like, I need help. Yeah, and just so, you know, just so catastrophic out of the gate that, I mean, it was either going to end at prison or death in my mid-20s or I was going to get sober. There was no like, well, I could string this along for another 40 years and just yeah. be, you know, a beer-bellied old guy sitting on a couch somewhere, kind of unconscious, you know, going through my life with the bare minimum of experience, you know. Um, I, I really feel for people that have that kind of mediocre level, numbing, avoiding addiction that doesn't manifest as like an acute substance addiction. It's yeah. brutal because it's a lot harder to hit bottom, you know? So and, how do you communicate change to that person or present the opportunity for change? With them? Well, Stepping back and saying, man, yeah, I, I kind of well, am, I've been this, uh, kind of like kind of a simmering mess for 40 years and just kind of polluting most of the rooms that I go into. And it's kind of like, but it's not that bad, but there's this festering sore that what I've done could be addressed. What I've done, and in, in my recovery circles, you would call this a high bottom drunk. This is like someone that comes in and, you know, they got a DUI, but they, they haven't been on the streets. They're not really in the nitty gritty, right? Maybe right. they might be an alcoholic. They might have crossed that line where they have a physical or, uh, you know, a psychological dependency, but they still have their job, wife, car. They haven't really hit the wall. And it's so difficult for those people and like the people you're describing that maybe don't even have a substance issue, but just have a numbing habit, you know, or various numbing habits. And to me, the, the way that I've worked with people like that is raising the bottom, right? And what that looks like is really getting into someone's thought processes and showing them how addicted they are to negative, critical, fault-finding, self-destructive thinking. Mm. If you can really get into someone's mind, you know, if you think about, um, you know, uh, The Power of Now, it's a great book that sort of it's almost like a field guide for emotional sobriety, right? And yeah. the stuff that he describes in that book would be, that would be like one of the first books I would give someone like, oh, you don't think you're addicted to anything? Read this. Because can you stop thinking? Right. And not only can you stop thinking, can you stop thinking negatively? In other words, can you stop finding fault with everything you see around you and, and internally? Can you look in the mirror and not find anything wrong with who you are? And when you do look in the mirror and you find something wrong, how much does it really control you if you're really honest with yourself? How many of your decisions are based on your perceived inadequacies and your shame that's not been resolved? Showing people their trauma, you know, really getting in and allowing someone to see for themselves that their inner life experience is unmanageable. Their emotional life has control of them. Their thought life has control of them. They do not have control over it. Their nervous system rules their decision making. Wow. Right? That's raising the bottom. So it doesn't really matter if you, you know, are shooting heroin between your toes every morning. 
or you get up and you're just going, like you said, straight to Pornhub and like four coffees and an Adderall and running off to Wall Street. Yep. It's all kind of the same mechanism of action. It's just a matter of getting into someone's psyche who wants that information and has invited you in as a guide or friend or sponsor or whatever it is and saying, okay, cool. So you're not that guy in the gutter on the street, but you have the same mind as that person. Your mind works the same way. You, you're tortured by negative thoughts that won't stop cyclical thinking that just goes around and around and around and you can't sleep at night. You know, those are the things that so many people experience on a day-to-day basis. But on the outside, if they've kind of cobbled everything together and and look good and can keep their material world intact, uh, it's almost more devastating because it's harder to see. And sometimes they're the only ones that know what's going on inside. Well, they're also oftentimes the ones that are the most celebrated. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, the person that is the you know, the narcissist or the person that's has this insatiable void that they're filling with the next Lambo and the next chick <laughs> and the next, you know, the whole thing is just like, you're the, oh, you're God. the man. That's great. <laughs> you were the man. That's great. <laughs> you know, ma- material, materialism, like as a coping mechanism, is it, coping mechanism is really interesting to me. And I've observed this within myself and really worked with it because for some reason I was just wired with, with a really, um, I have a lot of visual acuity, right? I'm just very much affected by the energetics of a space and the way things look. And I just love beauty, you know? And so I like nice buildings and architecture and landscaping and art and a a, a beautifully designed car and whatever, right? But I don't really care about the stuff. It's just the feeling of the stuff, Right. right? And with some, you know, maturity over the years, it's less about like, oh, I want this car because I think that other people are going to find me uh, of higher value because I drive this car. Yeah, that's it, maturity. It's more like, no, I actually just like a car that drives really nice and it just looks beautiful just inside. Makes me feel you know? but, I, but I have looked at that. And, and earlier in my journey, I remember one, one lesson I got, some medicine one day that was just beautiful. I had made kind of a, a, a big leap forward in my career and, and finances. And looking back, I mean, it's like, oh my God, that, was, that wasn't a big leap at all. But at the time it was. And so I rented this really cool house in the Hollywood Hills. It was right next to the Hollywood Bowl. And I think it was like five grand a month. And I rented it with, uh, with my girlfriend at the time. And it was just this insane mid-century modern house, like built in the 50s by um, Alfred Hitchcock's set designer. I mean, just incredible house with a 360 view, you know, from downtown LA to the ocean. And, and that was nice. And it was pretty cool for my ego. I'd have people come over and I'm like, Hey, walk, come in, you know, and just wait for them to go, Oh my God. You know, it's just that kind of house. And that woman and I broke up and well, she left me. And I remember sitting there looking at that view one day and she's probably the first person I really, really loved, you know, beyond just like an attachment, right? Not that I didn't have love for people, but I, I think we were, we were in love legitimately. There were a lot of problems with that relationship, but when she left, I was fucking devastated. And I remember for days, you know, I would get up and I would sit on the couch and I would just look out the view and I was so depressed and I was so sad and I would just cry and cry. And I remember looking at the house going, it doesn't matter what house you put me in right now. You could give me Necker Island. Yeah. And with this broken heart, I'd be feeling the same broken heart as I would in a trailer home in Lancaster. Yeah. And it was such a beautiful lesson like that, that this stuff will not fix you, that it's an inside job. And turning that around, conversely, I don't know if I'm there yet, but I think I'd be pretty skilled at being in that mobile home in Lancaster and actually loving my life and feeling very grateful that I'm in there. Mm-hmm. You know, not to say that I wouldn't work to, to evolve out of that, but even as someone who is aesthetically driven and likes beauty and things, as I said, um, I absolutely know for sure that 
you can regulate your own mood and your own experience based on your perception. Yeah. It's like David Hawkins in one of his talks, he talks about the beauty of an experience he had walking through New York City and just, you know, watching a trash bag just beautifully dance across a dirty alley with rats scampering around. And he was just mesmerized by the beauty of that moment in physics, you know? And it's just a perception, right? One thought away and you're like, oh my God, this city is disgusting. Look at these rats. Look at this trash everywhere, right? Yeah. So, so much of our experience around that is, um, is in our ability to manage our, our perception and, and create the meaning that we want around things. Yep. And then with it, within that, you can actually play with the material world and manifestation and, and having a comfortable life and having nice things without them owning you. And you don't end up as one of those CEOs at 60 that got all the things and all the accolades and wants to jump off a bridge. Because yep. you're not attached to those things in, in that kind of way. They're things that you appreciate as a transient experience while they're there, knowing that pretty soon they're going away and so are you. Yeah. <laughs> Which reminds me of EMFs. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it's funny though, dude, whenever we sit down and have a conversation, we'll be like, yeah, okay, so let's basically just talk about this stuff. And then you just start these great, con you're so good at this. You start these great conversations and then we just like, just meander through all of these other interesting territories. Do you have insomnia, headaches, vertigo, dizziness, tinnitus, vision problems, or a weakened immune system, and you can't figure out why, even though you're doing all the right things for your body? Well, listen up. For three years when I was living back in LA, unbeknownst to me, I was living under two massive cell towers. I was chronically sick, I couldn't sleep, and my vision got so bad I needed to wear glasses for the first time in my life. And that's when I woke up to the dangers of 3G, 4G, and 5G wireless networks now active in most major cities but I believe in awareness over fear. So as I became increasingly committed to mitigating the EMF in my life, I decided to collaborate with world-renowned EMF expert, Brian Hoyer, to create a course to get this potentially life-saving information out to a wider audience. That means you. It's called the EMF Home Safety Masterclass, and masterclass it is. It is epic, and guess what? It is totally free. In this course, I teach you all about the different types and hidden sources of EMF in your home and how to fix them all. You'll learn about smart meters, dirty electricity, the do's and don'ts of EMF shielding paint, Wi-Fi routers, mysterious magnetic fields, and the dangers of smart appliances. And by the end of this training, you will not only be well-informed, but also well-equipped to minimize your exposure. You'll even learn why using grounding or earthing products inside the home might not be the brightest idea. Here's what's up. Due to the immense value and sheer quantity of this content, I've always charged for access. But given the seriousness of this threat and the constant questions I get from concerned listeners, I don't want to keep this crucial information behind a paywall anymore. And quite frankly, it wasn't something that was a big needle mover for me in terms of revenue anyway. So I'd rather just give it to you for free. So right now you can head over to lukestory.com slash EMF masterclass and hit the enroll now button to sign up for free. You'll also get a handy PDF guide that lists the products I've found to be the most helpful in mitigating the dangers of EMF. Learn all the details on the course and get yourself signed up at lukestory.com slash EMF masterclass. So I had, I had a, a seamless EMF transition that now you've spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the original plan es mi trabajo. talking today was we were talking about the impact of um, some of the invisible currents that yeah. impact us in, in the world. And a lot of people think that it's kind of like woo-woo, tinfoil hat. And some of it is. I think there's, there's a, 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 a massive psychosomatic Some of the solutions are definitely 
out of the realm of reality, I would say. Yeah. My seamless transition, which wasn't going to be that seamless, but I was kind of... <laughs> what happens when you moment. take psychedelics and you yeah. overcome materialism no. while next to a smart meter? So the so so my seamless transition was essentially some people are, are, are sick, like we've you know, you establish and, and they don't realize that they don't have that, you know, the opportunity to have a reflection. And I think it's interesting how our, our, our thoughts and feelings and decisions and the way that we produce ourselves at a mental, emotional and cellular level is it's not just isolated from, you know, bottom up or from the inside out. It's also this dual symphony. It's an orchestra of, of the relationship of our environment around us. And so I think that then comes the next point because I think oftentimes people can be a little bit on their like high horse if they're into like spiritual stuff, you know, or they do, <laughs> they they they, you know, they work within like the Reiki realm. That's a funny dichotomy. It's like right? the physical doesn't even matter because I do energy. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's like well, yeah. the physical does matter, and so does the energy. Yeah, the environment does matter, and so does your thoughts because your environment informs yeah. your thoughts. Yeah. yeah, and your internal world informs the environment that you place yourself into. But you can. It just it doesn't matter how you enter the human experience it just matters that you like you open the door somewhere there's all these doors and so the seamless transition into talking about electricity and uh you know these invisible frequencies and such is well it's just that is is how are our homes affecting our thoughts and feelings and and mental emotional physiological experience and is there some things that we can do to to come at fr from that angle because i think most of this conversation yeah. has been kind of more like a internal yeah. spiritual <laughs> yeah. talk therapy yeah come to Jesus moments. Well, it's funny, dude, because in my world of content creation, I have not been able to separate mind, body, and spirit, you know, because of no. what you just described, because yeah. they're so interrelated. And so it's, it's fun for me in a way, because I get to kind of develop some level of understanding or even dare I say expertise about some of these concepts and ideas in, in all three realms. But it's also challenging because I never just put myself in one bucket and just that's my thing, right? So we sit down to talk and I'm like, could go anywhere. Yeah. But when it comes to, to EMFs, it gets very nuanced because, well, the first thing I'll unpack is, okay, everything is energy and everything is consciousness. This is just the fundamentals of quantum physics, okay? Yep. A bunch of empty space. Yeah. So from one school of thought, from someone who's really tapped into their ability to work within the quantum realm, one could affect positively their biology by the thoughts and beliefs that they have about it, a la Bruce Lipton, right? The biology sure. of belief. Yeah. And therefore, just staying within that framework, one could sleep next to their Wi-Fi router and have a cell tower outside of their bedroom and a smart meter on the side of their house and leave their cell phone plugged in next to them and if they believe strongly enough that they are impervious to the effects of that, those various forms of radiation, one would think that you could overcome it and you could become resilient or immune to the negative effects of that. And I actually believe that that's true. Conversely, you could have someone who eats an organic diet and you know works out and does the movement practices that you're so um, skilled at and has healthy relationships and all of those things in their life, yet they live in fear about their neighbor's Wi-Fi router and the cell tower next to their room. And so they're sending signals to their nervous system that says, I am not safe, I'm getting cancer. And I truly believe that one would get cancer more likely from having those kind of fears and the burden of EMF, right? So on one side, you've got, I'm going to spiritual my way out of this and just use my energetic deflection to become immune to these negative influences. 
And the other one is, uh, I'm so aware of them, even though the rest of my life is, is relatively healthy in my lifestyle, but I'm so aware of them that I'm living in constant tension and probably making myself more vulnerable to those threats, to those insults, yeah. right? So leaving those two aside, the middle way that I've found through this, and, and I'm not perfect at it, I would err more on the paranoid side. Just because I do a lot of research on this shit and yep. it's like, it's scary, dude. It really is. The, the stuff that we're surrounded with energetically is, is just on another level. Uh, it's so alien to earth. We just, these frequencies aren't, they're man-made. They're just not, they don't exist naturally. So I err more on the side of paranoid, but where I'm going for is kind of a middle way where I can build awareness within myself and become educated in a common sense, kind of pragmatic way take whatever logical steps are available to me based on my lifestyle and budget, frankly, because it can get expensive to start shielding your world, uh, and then just live my best life. You know, it's like when I come into downtown Austin here where we are, I live out in the hill country and there's fewer cell towers. They don't have 5G out there. And I come here and it crosses my mind sometimes like, wow, I'm going into the 5G zone. And then I have to watch that thought, like what I was talking about earlier, really, of, of watching fear thoughts and negative thoughts and things. So when I have that thought, it's not like I'm going to go into denial and go, no, I'm not. It's totally cool. 5G is great for you. You know, 30 to 80 gigahertz or whatever it is. It's like a, it, it's like a, um, a military weapon, this 5G stuff. I mean, it's, it's no joke. So rather than just ignoring it or suppressing that I actually have knowledge of its existence and or going the other way and caving into fear and be like, oh my God, I'm getting cancer at this very moment. It's kind of like just a check-in like, okay, cool. It's there, but I want to go see Aaron. And I'm going to just live my best life and do everything that I can to have that resiliency a la Bruce Lipton and just believe that I'm so safe and protected and that everything is fine. Okay, so that's kind of the framework. In terms of like practical solutions, there's a lot of stuff that can be done that um, more people are becoming aware of. Uh, you have to have some discernment around people selling things that are going to protect you or shield you from EMF. Um, so... If you'd like, I can kind of give you a breakdown of, of what the various EMFs are and then from the most badass, efficient way to protect yourself down to the easiest and less effective. Yeah. What yeah. do you say? Yeah, that's beautiful. So when we're talking about EMF, we're talking about electromagnetic frequencies and there's a number of different types. So we'll start with uh, radio frequencies or RF. This would be your cell phone, Bluetooth, anything that's Wi-Fi enabled smart meters on the side of your house, cell towers, uh, radar dishes at nearby airports, police radar guns, all of that is non-ionizing radiation. And with all EMFs, they follow the inverse square law. And so the damage to your biology goes up exponentially the closer that you are. So if you're 20 miles from a military base that has radar on it, on a logarithmic scale, you're way less uh, exposed and in danger than the guys living on the base. The guy in the bunker underneath the thing, he's getting cancer, pretty much for sure. I mean, that's, there's stuff that happened in the 50s that supports that. So, so that's RF. And to me, that's probably the worst. And there are some odd 30,000 studies about all of the various forms of EMS, scientific studies, proving unequivocally that it has a negative impact on your biology to various degrees. Mm. So It's the amount of it though it's well here's the thing with rf it's which frequency it is and how close you are to it 
And not only that, what gets crazy is how many frequencies are crossing each other. And this gets into some physics that are above me, but I've interviewed a lot of brilliant physicists that explain it in this way. So say you have, um, you know, a 2.5 gigahertz Wi-Fi router next to your bed, which by the way is a really bad idea. Distance is always your friend, like the farther you can get away from this stuff. Let's say you've got 2.4, then on a cell tower nearby, they might have five different frequencies coming off that. You got a smart meter on the back of your house. That's a different frequency. So when all of these RF signals intersect, we don't even know what that does. We kind of know what each one does and which ones are, are more harmful. But yeah, so it's, it's kind of gnarly. But again, awareness over fear. Just build awareness and then I'll give some practical steps. The next one is um, electric fields, uh, which is the AC current in your house. So most homes are built with uh, something called uh, Romex, which is the wiring inside your drywall. And it goes in between the studs and the drywall, right? And unless someone builds a house specifically to avoid this and shields those and uses a different type of wire, your whole house, like the house in here, and I'm glad the owner isn't here. I don't want to get her paranoid. But an electric field from 60 hertz wiring inside your house travels into the center of a room anywhere from three to six feet. And it's not only where the outlet is or where something's plugged in, but because walls are made of sheetrock and sheetrocks are made of minerals, minerals are conductive. So your entire room will be an electric field, like a cage of an electric field. And in nature, 60 hertz doesn't exist. DC current exists in the earth, like in the ground, it emits a DC current, which is actually beneficial. But in AC, an alternating current, it goes like that. It's alternating. It's not a direct current like what exists in nature. So that's a non-native EMF. So Anything plugged in like this light, if we had an electric field meter, it'd probably go out right here and get louder as you go in. Electric fields have a negative effect on your biology. Next is magnetic fields. Magnetic fields are created by um, generally things with motors. So your refrigerator, for example, would make a magnetic field. Um, if you have like a chili pad, if you're really close to it, that's a motor, it'll make a magnetic field. Sometimes even bad wiring in the home will create an, a magnetic field because they're not properly grounded and there's wires crossed and things. I had this in my house in LA. We, we tested one wall and it had an electric field. And I was like, oh shit, well, of course, because there's wires in the wall. And then we tested the magnetic field. The magnetic field was all over the room. And magnetic fields are really, really bad for you. Cars have huge magnetic fields, especially new ones from the engine compartment because they don't shield in between the cab and the cabin rather and the engine compartment. My car, if you put a, a, like a magnetic field meter in my car and turn on the gas, it's just like off the charts, which is one of the reasons you get fatigued while driving long distances, especially in new, the newer and the fancier the car is, the worse the EMF is. So that's magnetic yeah. fields. Then you've got something. And it's worse because you're inside the steel cage. So yeah. It's kind of like you're inside of like a little, little pinball machine. A little ding, oven. Ding, 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 yeah, ding, ding, ding. exactly. Uh, and then the next one is dirty electricity, which is an AC current, but it's a current that is a chaotic field and that has to do with bad wiring oftentimes when people have solar panels on their house or you have like a digital smart meter it just mucks up the wiring inside your house and creates an even more harmful electric field that travels even farther like sometimes you'll get dirty electricity coming off an overhead fan or a light just because there's a wiring air somewhere or even the electric main current coming from the street where you get your power there's just dirty electricity going through the city because things aren't regulated right so magnetic, RF, electric, dirty electricity. And then the last one is something called geopathic stress. And this is really interesting. Geopathic stress is caused by uh, ley lines in the earth. The whole earth is covered by these ley lines. It's a grid underneath the surface of the ground. And so when you take 
dowsing rods. It's one of the ways that they find water. You can find a well, you walk with these little dowsing rods in your hands. It sounds woo-woo, but it's, it's actually been used for, I don't know, hundreds if not maybe thousands of years. Don't quote me on the timeline, but it's really interesting. You can go across this yard and you just hold them very lightly. And when you cross a ley line, they go boing, and they mm. flip out. And then you can put this kind of shielding material on the ground and then they stay straight. It's, it's crazy. Wow. So the geopathic stress is known throughout ancient civilizations as kind of bad mojo spots. So you might put, in the olden days, you put a little sheep pen right over a geopathic stress zone, which is essentially like a crack in the Earth's surface, or it could be water veins under the surface, that allow a field of radiation to come up from the ground. Wow. And so those animals would all get sick. Or there's certain places where the trees always die, and they just won't grow. Wow. Or someone will... I remember this in LA, there were businesses, and I don't know this is why, this is my own theory, I'm hypothesizing. There were certain corners, uh, like right near Erwan, there's a corner, I think it's on like Gardner and Beverly or something. And over the 32 years I lived there, I saw, I don't know how many businesses open there and fail. It's just bad mojo. It's bad energy. And I've always thought, wow, again, it's my hypothesis, that they don't know they're building on top of a geopathic stress zone. So you get in there and the energy just off. It agitates your nervous system. Mm. So that one is one that only kind of building biologists talk about is the geopathic stress. But it, it's, it's very real and been, really been known by ancient peoples. It's not like a new thing. The geopathic stress is the only one of all of those that's actually natural and just inherent to the makeup of the energetics of planet Earth. The rest of them have all been introduced by humankind, and that's why we call them non-native EMF, because they're not of this world. Just like blue light, like a certain spectrum of blue light. So those are the different types. And then I'll give you the breakdown of the ways you can fix it. If you want to go hardcore, you have a building biologist like Brian Hoyer. I think you, do you know Brian? Yeah, people listening to this, if they want to go deeper into this conversation, they can jump you over had to Brian that. On? And it was right after he went through and did my whole, my whole oh, place great. in Santa okay. Monica. So if you want to go further into this, since we spent a lot of time talking about other yeah. things in this one, yeah. jump down to Brian Hoyer and he and I talking Perfect. right after he goes through my whole house. All right, so I'll do, I'll do my version of a, of a quick breakdown. So if you, starting at the, the top of the hierarchy of the most badass you can be, if you want to get EMF out of your life, you hire a building biologist to come screen your house. Probably cost a few hundred dollars, maybe a thousand, maybe some guys $2,000. They come in with about $30,000 worth of equipment. They test for all the types of EMF I just described. If you have the money and you own a place and it's worth the investment, you can then hire people to come in and, and shield certain rooms, especially the room you sleep with shielding paint. And then they ground that paint, the ceiling, the floor, all four walls. And you basically make your bedroom or your baby's room or your office a Faraday cage. And there's no EMF in there. It's the best ever. That's what I just did on my house here. It's like been a dream of mine forever. Super cool. geek dream. Yeah, I did like the 2B nursery room or bedroom and then some shielding in the offices. So that's, that's the number one thing you can do. Now, a lot of the other interventions are a little bit woo-woo because they're working in the energetic realm. And then it's challenging because there are some products like these little stickers for your phone and stuff like that. And I personally think a lot of them are bullshit and they're just marketing and they don't do anything. But there are some things that I've found to be very useful that do have some degree of scientific study to support them. And these are things that don't block the EMF. Blocking it's what the paint does, right? The shielding paint. It, you just, there's no more EMF. You bring a meter in, the meter's zero. There's also clothing that people can yeah, buy. Yeah, yeah. Like I have my lamb's underwear on right now. Lamb's so my, underwear, my nads yeah. aren't being also have, fried by have, this 5G. <laughs> have hats you can wear when you go on airplanes yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, so EMF clothing. And that's, that's pretty legit. Um, I mean, it, it definitely... They, you can put your phone inside that clothing, call it, yeah, and it, it don't work. Okay, yeah. so 
valid. There are some people, Brian's kind of debated with me on this, that because they're made of metal, that clothing, that comes an antenna. One school of thought is that now you're an antenna for the EMF. I don't know who's right. I'm still wearing mine because I just psych- psychologically, uh, the placebo makes me feel better. So yeah, shielding clothing and then shielding your house, that's stuff that actually blocks the EMF. Or like on my cell phone, my Defender Shield case, it blocks the 99.9% of the radiation coming off the face of the phone. So when your phone is closed, when the cover's closed and you're talking on speakerphone, at least you're not getting blasted in the head. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's cool. I didn't think of it that way. But it still works because you know the back and the sides aren't protected, so you're still getting a signal, but it doesn't actually penetrate from the phone into your skull. Um, so those things are blocking. And then on the energetics, I think probably if I could pick one thing, it's a thing called focus life force energy. And this is super woo-woo, but it fucking works. Like I wouldn't do it. It's like $35 a month. And essentially these guys in Canada, well, one's in Canada, one in the States, they discovered this kind of quantum energy generator that they can program a unique identifier into that raises the consciousness field of a property. So you could put this property in sign up for the service, and it neutralizes the EMF and renders the EMF less harmful to your biology. And how does this, ha- how does this happen? It's, and I hate saying this word, because this is the word that all the scammers use. It's quantum. It's quantum energy. So it's a quantum field technology that transmits to your house. Now, on the proof side, some of this is anecdotal, but friends of mine that have signed up for it notice things like their pets behave differently, their pets that have illnesses don't What's the anymore. actual process, though? The process is you log in online, flfe.net, you pay for, well, they give you like a free trial of two weeks, and then it's like 35 bucks a month, and you put your property on it. And so how they discovered this is they weren't even in the EMF business, but they were interested in raising the consciousness of people's homes to help people get well and just feel better. And it wouldn't work on certain people. So they started doing research, and they found the people that were not seeing a positive effect on their physiology were people that were in a really high EMF environment, such as right next to a cell tower or a smart meter on their bedroom wall. So they programmed into this technology, kind of a quantum field generator of sorts, to use the signal of shungite to neutralize the EMF coming from the outside and to render the EMF generated from devices inside your home into a more harmonic field. And I know it sounds crazy, and I'm a pretty pragmatic kind of sciencey person. They have done a number of different studies using random number generators, doing studies with sprouting wheatgrass and growing spinach and doing all these kind of uh, Dr. Emoto, the, the water tests, where they flash freeze crystals of water. They apply FLFE service onto the water before and after, like double blind kind of thing. And it changes the structure of the water from when they flip the switch. So that's my number one thing because it's the cheapest. And it also just raises the the field of energy in your home, which is cool. Uh, then you've got the Soma Vedic, right? Um, which is a precious and semi-precious stone, little, cu- not a cube, but rather kind of a flying saucer looking thing that you put inside the house. Again, doesn't block EMF, but changes the harmonics and the energy within the home. And they have similar kind of tests with HRV, live blood cell analysis, growing plants, doing things that are you know, somewhat at least enough scientifically viable to say, okay, this is having a positive effect on your biology. There's another company called Blue Shield. I think I have mine because I came yeah, I came into the 5G zone here. Blue Shield is a scalar wave generator. So mm. there's like pocket models and also models that you can put in your house. And uh, it's BLU, not BLUE. They're out of New Zealand. And uh, a similar kind of thing with the Blue Shield technologies, they are activating or amplifying scalar waves, which are like quantum field energy waves. 
to render the EMF fields neutral or at least less harmful to your body. Again, another invisible like woo-woo thing, but what they did that was really interesting, and they have some ongoing studies now, is they tested on animals. They didn't harm the animals. Don't, don't call me PETA. But what they did is they went to a couple farms, a chicken farm and a cow farm, and they were under power lines, those really gnarly power lines. And so the animals were sick and not producing quality eggs and milk, et cetera. And so they went and brought these, these generators, these scalar wave generators in. Of course, the animals don't know. They can't be placeboed. They brought them in, and then there's all sorts of stats that they have about the quality of the milk production. The cows stop getting viruses and, you know, are producing more milk and getting fatter and living their best life. And then the one they did on chickens, the chickens were all kind of agitated by these uh, power lines and the EMF field they created, which would probably be a magnetic and electric field. And so they were all really sickly and pecking the hell out of each other and producing super small, crappy, low nutrition density eggs. They apply this thing for however long it was, four weeks or something, and then the chickens all start gaining weight, stop pecking each other, and start producing however many multiplied uh, output of eggs and healthy eggs. So a lot of these companies do kind of weird studies like that where it's not, again, blocking the EMF, but there's enough evidence for me where the physical benefits are there. So it's like, why not do it? And if those benefits make one more resilient to all of this EMF exposure, then cool. So those are a few of the things. Another one is a, a thing called Quantum Lila Tech, and they make these crazy little energy blocks, like a quantum energy magnifying or multiplying box. Khalil has some at Sun Life. He puts the smoothies in them before he serves them to people. Wow. And Quantum Lila Tech is, again, it's another one of those woo-woo things, but they have tons of studies that they're doing in Switzerland and all of these labs to verify that there's a positive biological effect of having these in your field. So that's kind of the semi-woo-woo category. A couple of the really pragmatic things you can do is, like I said, the Defender Shield cell phone case. Also, if you have to keep your cell phone in your bedroom at night, it's a really good idea to get one of those little brick batteries. What about just putting it on airplane mode? Well, if you put it on airplane mode, that's fine. That's what I do all the time. But to charge it, because I like to have mine on the nightstand. Mm. And what I do is I go in the other room and I hit the breaker for my bedroom when I go to sleep. So there's no yeah. AC current in the room. Right. But I like to fall asleep to podcasts and stuff like that. So... I'll put it on airplane mode, and then rather than plugging it into the wall, which doesn't have any power because I turned the power off to that room, which is literally just flipping one switch. It's like hitting a light switch on your breaker box. Yep. So I use a little battery pack so that my phone charges all night and I don't wake up with a dead phone. Yep. Putting your phone in airplane mode when it's in your pocket. You know? I do that all the time. Yeah. I only use my phone. I notice that. It's always on airplane mode. I forget yeah. sometimes. It's not like a perfect thing. <laughs> but I, I, it's on. if you ever call me, there's a very high probability chance that It'll be like, oh, Aaron's, you know. You are one of the slowest texture backers I know. <laughs> but I actually respect it because I'm like, <laughs> it's either you're aware of EMF or you're just not addicted to your phone. I'm like, uh, go, Aaron, man. Take your time, bro. Like, I like it. phone is shut down until I'm using it. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, you know, I'm not a fan of Wi-Fi at all in the house. Uh, oh, man. Like, when you come over to our house, dude, and you walk in my shielded bedroom, I swear, even Allison, who's not even in, my fiance, who's not, she's not even into this shit. She's like, oh, whatever, Luke, like, good for you, honey. It's yeah. not her thing. She's into the energetics, you know. Um, but when she walked in the room after it was shielded, I was like, yeah, what do you think? She's like, it feels like a cave in here. Yeah, no, I've experienced that it's as well. It's so still and calming. Yeah. It's so amazing. And you can kind of get that depending on the EMF in your environment by just turning off your Wi-Fi router at night. If you're not going to do anything, 
is just put that shit on like a Christmas light timer or something. And like mine at our temporary apartment is set to turn off at midnight. It turns on at 7 a.m. Yep. It's like, I don't need it on. So that's just like one less dose of pretty um, close proximity RF that we'd be getting all night. Yep. So to me, you always start in the bedroom and your sleep environment. That's the number one place to work on the EMF. And then as you start to see the benefits, you kind of go further out and start to dial in the house. And if you own a house, you can wire your whole house with ethernet and then only have Wi-Fi on when you like really need it because you're having a bunch of people over or you're live streaming or something like that. I'm actually going to get stem cells injected. Ah, my, the my best. Something right now, wrist and shoulder. And get, them in your, uh, get them in your wedding tackle, dude. Wow, the wedding tackle. Yeah, I did that. It's incredible. That, it's like, right. it's well, like perma- talk to about that. permanent Viagra. Jeez, really? <laughs> I swear to God, yeah. Especially if you follow it up with a bunch of hyperbaric sessions. Wow. I mean, you're, you're a young strapping guy. I'm 51, so... You, <laughs> You start thinking about these things, you know, you're all right for now, but you're like, shit, man, in 20 years, I'm 70. The the last thing that I got from Hoyer that was really relevant at my place was the difference between having stuff plugged in beside my bed and not with the instruments where he was measuring, whatever it's called, probably not a Geiger counter, but whatever the heck the the machines are. Various EMF meters. Yeah. When we plug stuff in, it was, it was massive. It's like everything is going going crazy, and it's like you know six feet around or whatever it yeah, is. But yeah. behind the wall wasn't that bad. It was once you once you plug it in, then the river of all of that electricity comes out. Yeah, and it's not just the cord itself; it's going well beyond that. Yeah. Um, See, that's the value in having a building biologist come inspect your place because this stuff's invisible. You're like, eh, I'm probably fine. Yeah. And, and, you know, and like in the very beginning, I was saying, if you believe you're fine, you're a lot more fine than someone who's worried about all this shit. Well, it's like a, like a fish doesn't know that they're in the ocean. Yeah. But dude, when you, you see know, the like, meters. No, the water, water's there. Yes. When you, you know. see the meters go off, that's what gets your, that for me was like, that yeah. was the end. I'm like, I'm fixing this shit. I'm not going to sleep in this environment. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you very much. Yeah. Likewise. I enjoy these conversations. Dude, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> when, when we record you're really good at this and we just have such a great flow i guess the audience will be the judge of that yeah. self-proclaimed pro- proclaimed yeah. great flow <laughs> right. but like sometimes i'm like man aaron and i should have like our like a, we should have a show yeah like <laughs> if we had time we could have another podcast where we just like we shoot the shit like freestyle with actually with a guest that we kind of interview that'd be great but no i'm so i'm so stoked you moved here and you you know you've always been a great friend and likewise you know someone that's always there and supportive we're both refugees yeah from la yeah we out here yeah so yeah a part of why i wanted you to come on today was a just because i really enjoyed talking to you but was to talk more about the cmf stuff and you created a really concise program for people to be able to if they're if they're interested in this conversation want to go deeper into it yeah then you put all that together yeah for uh with with brian hoyer the guy that we were talking about that's been on your show and been on mine a couple times yeah Essentially what happened was I, cause I've been into EMFs for about 20 years. I mean, I knew about this shit when, when I first got a cell phone, I was like, "Eh, how does this thing work with non ionizing radiation? And you want me to put it on my head? I mean, even then I was like, this makes no sense. So I've been geeking out on this shit for a long time and I've amassed a lot of knowledge and, and I think you know, a spectrum of like very practical, easy ways to just minimize it, to just completely cut it out of your life, really, you know, or out of your home. And so, yeah, I created the the EMF Home Safety Masterclass. And I'm sure you put a link in the show notes. And it's, I think at this point, it's over six hours of video content. It's a lot of information, but it's presented in a way that's very accessible and easy to understand. 
So the class isn't really about like, oh, this is how your blood cells are affected when you have a cell phone in your bra or whatever. It's not about the medical side of it. It's like how to fix it. Yeah. So it's not fear porny at all. It's just, it's a breakdown of how, well, Brian comes into my old house in LA. We scan the entire house. He explains where we find, because you find EMF in weird places like your hair dryer, crazy magnetic field, sex toys that have batteries in them, crazy magnetic field. Women are wondering why they're getting fibroids. It's like, dude, it's a lot of weird stuff like that that's actually in the course. Hmm. Random places where there's EMF in your life that you don't know about, and then just ways that you can you know, be very practical and just start to systematically eliminate it and shield it, you know, from the most sophisticated of ways as I kind of broke down to some of the, just the daily practices. So right. yeah, there's tons of downloads and, um, you know, hours and hours of video. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really, it's been popular. I did it. I think I put it out maybe a year ago and there's a few hundred people in there that are, you know, right. learning how to do it and you can kind of take responsibility. And also I think once you learn about it too, it just makes you more aware generally, right? Like you might check into a hotel room and you notice that sometimes they put like a Wi-Fi router right next to the nightstand, you know, and you're just like, oh, cool. I know what that thing is because I saw it in that video. Yeah. And First just, thing I do is I go and pretty much unplug most yeah, things. Yeah, totally. And so you just kind of, you know, you don't have to be paranoid. I think that's why the course has been so valuable for people because it's not about fear. It's just what little baby steps can I take as I live my life and start to habituate myself to just have some awareness and just at least lower the payload of exposure yep. to something that's manageable. And that's the big thing. And then we really will wrap up because yep. we really do both need to go. But that's the big thing is it's not like the world is out to, to kill us. Everything, you know, like the, the, how does that saying go that the poison is in the dose? Yeah. Is that how, yeah. That, how, how I say that? And so a little bit of exercise is really good for you. A little bit of radiation is, is, is great. That's the sun, you know, like the, like radiation is not the enemy it's when you are, you're not resourced. You're overloaded and unresourced. Yeah. And then you're drained and you got adrenal issues and you can't sleep. And you're, there's all these alternating currents and static. And da, 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 da. Yeah. It's just this agitated system that can't heal. Totally. And that's, that's where it becomes a highly relevant conversation. That's why I think the bedroom is really the most important and the, and the lowest hanging fruit because you, you, you want to live your life. Like, I'm going to get on an airplane tomorrow. It's going to be an EMF hell and I'm just going to have fun with it and just deal. Yeah. But when I go into my home, I want to get my eight hours like I'm living in 2000 years ago. Yeah. You know and what really I mean? simple things people can do is just go the heck outside. Yeah. Hang out by some trees. Their, you know, their, yeah. their roots go down deep so if there is any kind of current stuff in the like the top portion of the ground you yeah. know being around old trees is very soothing for your nervous system you know, get near some ocean water be get near some rivers just like get out and regardless of whether you're freaking out about emf stuff or electricity or whatever it is it's good generally good for every aspect of your humanity just to go way outside go for a walk maybe bring a journal write some like all these different health practices which is it feels like kind of annoying to even say. it's very common sense it's just there's not a lot of in a lot of the, the the worlds that we live in there's just not a lot of opportunity for common sense but it's like oh yeah like yeah just spend more time outside no big deal the most powerful biohacks are free yeah it's not honestly. a big deal it's accessible sun yeah hot cold yeah. hugs touch connection totally. right breath relax, work relax your eyes every now and again give your hips a wiggle pray move good uh, thing is, <laughs> thing is about that shit, Aaron, and then and then we'll go. 
you know, because because I promote all these products and stuff. It's part of my brand. Like I yeah. find cool stuff, I promote it, I become an affiliate. It's part of the way that I fund my operation. And sometimes people are like, "Oh, you're always promoting all these too expensive things. Nobody can afford them." And I tell people like, "Dude, the stuff that's really going to impact your health is mostly free." Yep. But you won't fucking do it because it requires discipline. Yep. So you want to buy the fifteen thousand dollar biocharger because you're pissed at yourself because you won't go ground and do right. breath work in the sun every morning watch the sunrise you know so yeah i agree nature is the antidote and sometimes some technology is supportive because nature is not what it used to be and we've been downbred for a access few access to nature is is not as available for some totally yeah like you might be thing. you might be living living in a city and you don't get a lot of it you know yeah you, you know? know so then it's, it's it's starting to really just yeah well i think that's enough we went from butt play to to psychedelics to yep. EMF That's addiction. Right. Very, I mean, very, very common. Something podcast. for something for everyone. Something for everybody. All right. I will uh yeah, I just really appreciate getting this having these conversations with you. Thank you all for tuning in. And I'll include I'm sure we have some links or something like that for the Yep, and we'll have a the, discount code for you too for the EMF course. That's that's fantastic. And uh appreciate y'all tuning in. Over and out. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Luke is just one of the most genuine, authentic, kindest human beings you'll ever meet. And he also happens to be pretty freaking brilliant. So I'm very grateful to get to share that conversation with you. If you're interested in learning more about the EMF reduction course, I highly recommend implementing the practices that he teaches in there, along with Brian Hoyer, previous podcast guest. These guys, there's no two better teachers on this subject, more approachable teachers, and they create an online program. So if you want to go deeper into this with yourself, protect your family, protect your own self, your friends, uh, you want to have a better quality of sleep, then check this thing out. And you can also use the Align code to get 10% off. So go to Align podcast.com slash emf that's a line podcast.com slash emf to get access now that align code will get you 10 percent off thank you again guys so much for tuning into this feel free to tag me at align podcast you can tag luke at luke's story on instagram or wherever you do your tags and just thanks for doing you thanks for implementing this information into your life i hope it is supportive Thanks for telling your friends and uh, appreciate you immensely. I'll see you next week.